podcast we're casting hey man well you know hey it's nice to see you bud yeah good to see you i told you right before we hit record but i'm gonna say it again i like that t-shirt thanks yeah listeners mark is wearing a red t-shirt with an orange lightning bolt but it's not Mm -hmm. just one zigzag lightning bolt it's a double zigzag yeah i suppose it's kind of like a like a flash t-shirt, like a the flash, like it's like a the flash t-shirt, but uh, a little bit more minimal. But this isn't official Marvel merchandise. No. Is the flash Marvel? I don't even know these things. No. <laughs> What's the yeah. flash then? We're going to get hate mail. <laughs> what is the flash if it's not Marvel? DC universe, man. Tell you what I like about it is that it's so worn. Like it's barely there. It's on its last threads, but it's incredibly comfortable. I feel like I can see your chest hair through the shirt. Your one chest hair. You can only, you can, but that's only because I, whenever I put a t-shirt on, I actually weave some of my chest hair through (laughs) the weave of the shirt. (laughs) Oh, it's disgusting. (laughs) This has gotten off a terribly disgusting way. Well, let's just, you know, let's do a podcast. Podcast. Want to do that? Yes. Let's do that. Kick it off, man. Friends, (laughs) Friends, <laughs> nice to see you. This is Modern Dadhood, an ongoing conversation about the joys, the challenges, and the general insanity of being a dad in this moment. My name is Mark Checkett, and I am a dad to twin boy, 4.5 year olds. A, f- a, a four and a half. A four and a half. I'm four, I'm four and a half. I'm four and a half. And I'm Adam Flaherty, and I am a dad of two girls, and one of them is eight, and one of them is five. And now, which both one's them, older? The eight-year-old <laughs> is technically older. Oh, okay. They are both very emotional. Mm. I feel like I say it in every episode lately, but emotions are high. I, you know, you feel like you say that in every episode. I feel like the thing that I say in every episode is that it's particularly hectic lately. I think the thing is, that's just, that's just our lives, man. That's just how our lives are going. It's just our lives. But so everything has been phases thus far in terms of my fatherhood experience. Is this just a phase or is it just going to be high emotion for the rest of my life? Because I can't deal with that kind of stress and that kind of drama. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, let's see, people are emotional beings, right? That's one thing to consider. Um, you have, uh, a house full of women. There's that. I I was going to see if you were going to say it. Yeah. (laughs) You're qualified to say it. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're siblings. Yep. Right. These are just all ingredients here in the, uh, in the, in the emotional stew. Um, they're but what's siblings. The, uh, what's the, what's the one gross thing? The, the real pube in the oatmeal, so yeah. to speak is, <laughs> is that Ugh. when emotions are high, there's nothing I can do to bring things down. Anything I say makes it worse. And if you're anything like me, 
it's really hard for you to know that in a moment. Because really what you need to do sometimes is sort of distance yourself, right? You need to sort of, if you try, if you try to say, fix the problem and it's not working, then you just got to sort of do the, you just got to do sort of the, the Homer into the hedges, <laughs> into, yeah. remove yeah. yourself. But that, but that's really hard for me. I get really stuck in those moments where I try to fix a thing when the emotions are high, it makes things worse. And instead of reading that as my cue to just get out of Dodge and knock it off and let whatever try to fix itself or let them work through it or whatever, I push even more to try to be like, no, 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 I'm going to fix it and I'm going to fix it now. And that only just serves to escalate you know, the Always. situation every just, time, a hundred percent of the time that makes it worse. And I don't know when I'm going to learn. I mean, is that, do you struggle with that? Piece Absolutely. Of it? I, I mean, 20 minutes ago I was struggling with that. <laughs> <before> we started <laughs> recording. Yeah. Anything you do makes it worse. Sarah and I joke that we like, sometimes we'll just close our eyes and take a breath mm-hmm. and like try to physically like leave our physical bodies until Uh, this passes yeah (laughs) you try to get yourself in a state of zen where you can just exit your body and you know for the five or ten minutes and um what do they call it out of body experience yeah you just allow your mind and your soul to just float up out of your physical body and get somewhere else for a couple minutes it is a thing it's a, did we just do our, so that's a thing now, right at the top of the episode? I think we may have. I think we, <laughs> that's I a, think. So that's a thing every day. Eh, that's, <laughs> that's a constant thing. Today, Mark, today's mm. episode mm-hmm. features someone who I've known, I say, a, a little bit for a long time. Um, mm. His name is Pete Murray. And Pete is a dad of two teenagers and has spent a number of years. I don't think he's doing any more, but spent a number of years as a, a Boy Scout a troop leader. Did you do Boy Scouts growing up? Were you a, a scout? Uh, no, I did not. I, I have this weird memory of like going to my elementary school for like some kind of like I don't know, introductory to the Boy Scouts or whatever. And like a mm-hmm. lot of kids were there and the memory is super hazy. And I remember being in the cafeteria, which was also the auditorium, which was they also call it cafetorium. It was, it was, it was the cafeteria, the auditorium and the gym. That's so, so that's where hygiene, that's where like sanitation comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, not as a small... serving food in the same place that kids are, you know, bouncing sweaty basketballs little, su- and little sweaty children running around. Yeah, no, it was you know it was a small. I'm from a small town. Um, and anyway, the memory is basically I'm there with some friends, and somebody's giving some kind of spiel, and right Probably next to me was an open door. And I, and I just left. (laughs) How old were you? (laughs) I was pretty young. An open door to the outside? To the outside. And you just walked out? And I, and I just left. And I, in the memory, I don't know if my parents were with me or if a parent, or if I was with friends and we left together, but it's just this really hazy memory of somebody 
trying to recruit a bunch of Boy Scouts. And I apparently was just like, nah, bro, I'm out. <laughs> I just left just through. Just walked out the door. Yeah. Oh, so that's like, what a bold move. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, apparently I was fine because I'm still here. But, um, but, uh, but that's my, yeah, no, that I never got into the boy. I never got into the Boy Scouts. And, you know, I'm thinking back, I don't even think I know anybody who did Boy Scouts growing up. What about you? Uh, similar. So I, I, I don't have a memory of being in a cafetorium gymnasium, but the air is thick and it smells like a mixture of a locker room and beef stroganoff chicken nuggets. Yeah. Chicken patties. It just wasn't uh it wasn't a big thing as far as I can remember when I grew up. I'm sure that I knew people who, I mean, I, I feel like I have a memory of seeing people who I went to school with occasionally like wearing a uniform with the badges, yeah. but it just wasn't, wasn't really a thing. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons to be honest that um, I'm interested in talking to Pete about it and kind of learn, you know, what it's all about and why people participate in what they get out of it. And yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great chat. I will say a number of years ago, I worked with a guy whose sort of young teenage son was in uh, I guess it was maybe Cub Scouts first. I'm not really sure of the, the level, like the rank levels, yeah. but I believe he, I, I, I met this guy when his son was like Cub Scout and then he got older and he kept with it. He was in the boys. He actually eventually ended up becoming an Eagle Scout. And for a brief period, um, my, my buddy was pretty into the whole, you know, dad of a cub scout life mm -hmm. he was like a troop master and he did some of the stuff and he was oh we'd always tell me about it and i at the time i started thinking man how cool cub scouts and the boy scouts are and i was sort of getting bummed that i i never went through anything like that as a child and so for just a brief period of time in my life i kind of lived a little vicariously through this friend of mine who had a young son that was going through uh, and he would he would tell me about all the stuff that they were doing and the trips that they were taking, the overnight mm -hmm. trips that they were mm -hmm. taking. And it just seemed it just seemed super cool. And I, and I, I as a kid, I never had that opinion of the, the Boy Scouts, that it was this super cool thing where you would actually have these great experiences and learn really valuable things. You know, and that's definitely one thing I'm, I'm interested in, in chatting with uh, with Pete about. I think probably your experience is very much shaped by the people who you're doing it with, you know, and, um, mm. and the bonding that you do with those people. And then, you know, all the different things that you're kind of basic life skills and survival skills and things that you're learning. If you're with a group of people that you don't really like or don't click with, it's probably like a pretty shitty experience. Yeah. And or if you're like, there with people who you do like or people who you look up to and admire and want to yeah. become friends with, it probably is a completely different thing. All right, let's get, let's talk with Pete. Let's, yeah, I think we've kept him waiting long enough. Pete Murray is a video game professional by day and until recently a scoutmaster by evening and weekend. Uh, Pete's someone I've known a little bit for a long time and he's a dad to two teenagers, a boy and a girl. Uh, welcome to Modern Dadhood, Pete. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to be here. It's nice to have you here. So when I introduced you, I, I used the phrase video game professional, but I think that 
probably there's a much more elegant way to describe what you do professionally. Uh, would you like to share with our listeners uh, what your role consists of in the video game industry? I have had the amazing fortune that I've worked at a great studio since 2009, Firaxis Games. Uh, we're best known for Sid Meier's Civilization oh, and uh, yeah. XCOM, uh, the XCOM series, XCOM Enemy Unknown, XCOM 2. And I've had an opportunity to do a whole bunch of different roles from marketing, which is where Adam, you and I met, to writing for games, to being a producer, which is like a project manager on it. Um, and now I do learning and development. Uh, where I get to take people and I get to help them shape their career, how they're moving forward and and do that with people that I love working with. So I just been very, very fortunate with uh, with my professional life. First of all, I want to ask, I consider you a peer. And it, for me, it's sort of a weird feeling to have a peer who has a kid who's an adult. What is it like for you to be a dad to an adult kid? Uh, two things. First of all, it's mentally terrifying because I think cognitively I'm still about 25. So the fact that my son is now only seven years younger than I am mentally is, is kind of, kind of a thing. Um, it's also been funny because you see yourself and reflected in your kids. And I think this is my karmic comeuppance for the way I treated my parents growing up because now I get to see myself uh, in all these things again, which is, uh, a blessing and a, I, I call my folks from time to time and I'm like, I'm really sorry. And they're like, for what? I'm like, well, and they're like, no, no, it's great. It's so wonderful. But um, no, it, it's great. And um, having, having older kids, I know your, your kids are on the younger side. It's really exciting to see how different they are and how they're kind of coming into their maturity in different ways is, is, is just fascinating. So you have a lot of fun ahead of you. It's going to be a great experience. You're going to love it. Well, I still picture myself or when I, when I, when I think about like, how old I am, I still really mentally feel like I'm a teenager. Uh, honestly, like I, 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 I look at my life sometimes and I go, how did this happen? I'm only like 16. What's going on? How is it that I have <laughs> yeah. four year olds and a house and a real life adult job and all of this stuff? And uh, yeah, it, who let me get a mortgage and a car payment? Yeah. Like, who did, did nobody <laughs> check on these things? Like I'm not clearly not ready for this. So, okay. I want to chat about your involvement with Boy Scouts of America. I know it's an organization that's really important to you. Mark and I were chatting before you joined us just about how we were not involved in Boy Scouts uh, as kids, mostly because it just wasn't, it didn't, doesn't seem like it was particularly prevalent in the areas that we grew up. Is it more popular or more common or is there higher involvement in certain parts of the country or in certain landscapes, I guess? Yeah, probably. Um, I think we've been very lucky that where I live, we're very lucky in that we have strong units with strong leaders. Um, Adam, you and I have a mutual friend who was in scouts and had an absolutely terrible experience in it. And hmm. when I became scoutmaster, I was thinking of, of him and I was like, okay, that has been kind of my mission statement while I was scoutmaster was like, it, it try to do the most good that you can for the most number of people. I don't know that I was 100% successful at it, but I did my best. So, Were you in Scouts as a kid? I was. I was. Um, my dad had been a Scout. My grandfather had been a Scout. And when I was a kid, my dad had his Boy Scout handbook on a shelf, and he left it there. And I would pull it out, and I'd read through it. And, hey, look, they'll teach you how to build a fire. Hey, they'll show you how to sharpen a knife. Hey, they'll show you what, you know, 
animal tracks are. And I thought it was really cool. Um, and when I was in elementary school, he was our uh, Cub Scout leader. And um, when we moved to Maryland, I um, he, he kept going and we joined the Boy Scout troop. I made Eagle. My two brothers made Eagle. So I, as some of my most formative experiences were with the Scouts. And I think one of the best things about it was it kind of taught me <laughs> how to fail and, mm. and how failure can be a good thing. Hmm. That was a useful lesson. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to have opportunities to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes. And we don't always have those opportunities. And I, even as dads, like we don't always create those opportunities for our kids. But I remember when you and I were chatting a few weeks back, uh, obviously before this conversation, you were sharing with me a particular story about your Boy Scout troop. And uh, why don't you just sort of take it from there, sort of reshare that story, if you don't mind. So we had this uh, this camping trip a couple of months ago. We were actually staying in the old high school gymnasium. And it's rare that we have a, an event where we're indoors for most of the weekend. And so many of the scouts did not pack winter jackets. It was February. It was 12 degrees outside and there was a gale blowing. It was, uh, for those of us on the East Coast, there was that one particular cold weekend. It was that one. So they're out trying to cook their food in the parking lot of the building and they can't get the fires going and everybody's got a hoodie pulled completely over their heads and they're hovering around these burners. Nobody was having a good time. But afterwards, we could sit down and I, I could bring the scouts together and I could say, all right, what did we learn from this? What did you guys enjoy that? No. Okay. I felt bad for you. You guys were out there in the cold trying to make dinner. You couldn't do it. You know, we were sending some people in because they were so cold. I said, what do we need to do next time? Well, back winter coats, right? Mm -hmm. Having an opportunity to fail in a way that's got consequence, but isn't dangerous for you is really valuable. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think what failing does a consequential failing does is it teaches you that you are more than your failures. Mm. You know, that, that you can, you can try at something. The important thing is the attempt that you made a, a reasonable attempt at it. Or if you didn't, what did you take away from it that will prevent you from falling into a, a trap the next time? And I think it's important that you don't set kids up that they fail in dangerous ways. Like you don't yeah. put your kid in a situation where the price of failure is catastrophic injured, serious injury, death. It's also hard as parents to watch a kid fail and allow a kid to fail mm. when you're like, I could step in here and they don't even see this thing coming. And I could just, they'd never even know I could move this out of the way. That would never be a problem. And knowing where to make that call is really hard sometimes. I think Adam, you were, you were telling me about going on a hike with your daughters, you're running out in the morning and the kid is failing at packing their backpack correctly. And you're like, just right. uh, give it to me. I'll shove it all in there. You know, where's the opportunity in that? And and that's, that's a judgment call. And I don't think there's any hard and fast rules for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the tough thing is that in, in that scenario, you're, they're packing the backpack, uh, they've left it to the last minute and you're cramming stuff in their bag to make sure that they make it to their bus. If I don't step in and do it and my daughter misses the school bus, it's a big inconvenience for me. And there's never an opportune time to like <laughs> to decide that I'm cool with having a miserable afternoon because 
I want my kid to learn from the consequence of this thing that I can choose to prevent right now. Right, right. And I think over time, you draw that line differently. You know, when you got little kids, you got to do everything for them. I am throwing all this in your backpack because you were too disorganized to do it. You can't do that with a high school junior. Like you cannot pack the backpack of a high school junior. But man, knowing where to draw that line, like there's there's no easy answer to that. So where does that determination or holding a standard bleed into toxicity? Where does it, you know, support? Where do you make those calls? Man, I don't know. Still negotiating that out myself. But I think you've tapped into something important with with those decisions. That that piece about sitting down and then reflecting back on something that was a failure. That seems like it's it's a really crucial component. Right. I mean, it's one it's one thing to sort of fail and maybe take away like, okay, we should have brought our jackets. But the act of like sitting down, especially as a group, you know, and say, okay, let's talk through that. Let's reflect back on it. Let's spend a little time down in the feeling of kind of failing at something. Yeah. And I think the important thing is not to dwell on it and not to blame and not to, you know, browbeat them about it because they're aware, mm. like they've suffered the consequences of this. You know, some kid's cold. He's finally warming up. He can, I can feel my fingers again. It's great. Um, you know, you don't need to beat them up over that at that point. That was, that was something I think is, is important to realize with that. Well, they're also surrounded by their peers, too. And even if it is a safe group, meaning they're not worried about, you know, their popularity among the group or other people judging them. I mean, when if you're the one kid who forgot the rain jacket and you got soaked, I mean, you're aware that other people witnessed that and saw that, you know. And so I'm sure there's a bit of extra motivation there to make sure that that doesn't happen again as well. Yeah. And and I think that comes to conveying your expectations clearly to them. So, you know, hey, I expect you to be able to bring your rain jacket on on an outing. I, you know, you need to be responsible for yourself. And then the best part is there's a little bit of peer pressure, a little bit of like a good peer pressure to be like, hey, you know, you're not doing this thing or hey, we're cleaning up from dinner and you vanished to go off in the tent to play, you know, poker for half an hour. Like, where were you, man? That's not Mm -hmm. that's not cool. I don't want to do this peer pressure in that sense is more meaningful because it's not an adult dictating it to them. It's their peers. It's the other people saying, Hey, we have this expectation. This is what you need to do. And you're not living up to it. That's kind of a neat thing to see develop. Yeah. It hits, it hits so much differently, right? If it's like a a parent or a, or a teacher or somebody that a, a kid might look at as sort of an authority figure, you know, there's always that little bit of resistance in, in really listening or really understanding you know, um, so, so if it's that peer to peer level, I mean, peer pressure maybe is one way to put it, but also the word, like the word accountability kind of comes into my mind, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, seeing, seeing or hearing from someone who's the same as you kind of talk, you know, directly, you know, and openly to you. I mean, yeah, I guess the willingness to, 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 to be more open to, to listening and understanding is probably a lot greater, you know, than, than coming from some stuffy old person. Can you think of a a situation where there was a young person or a group who had this failure and in theory 
there should have been a really great lesson that came out of it, but the the lesson backfired. It just didn't, the moral didn't work at all. <sighs> yes. Without going into the specifics of the event, I gave somebody an opportunity to demonstrate some leadership and he chose to use it as an opportunity to build his credibility with other scouts in a way that was like, look how I can push the boundaries of what's acceptable. Wasn't doing anything wrong, but he was far enough outside of what I expected that I had to really pull him back and be like, you cannot do this thing. And I hated it because it was like he had built this whole thing up to, to do this piece that he wanted to do. And, and it was not consistent with what we were trying to do. I was hoping that what he would take away from this was I need to make sure that what I'm doing is lined up with a larger program. And what he came mm-hmm. away with was the adults don't let me have fun. And I keep asking myself, like, did, what did I do wrong? Did I fail to communicate something to him? Did I fail to um, instill something to him? And at some point, I'm coming to peace with the idea that he had agency here too, that it wasn't just my decision, that he had to make the decision of what he was going to learn from that. I don't think I've completely squared that circle, but that's kind of where I'm coming down at this point. Man, like, does that stuff stick with you? Do you, do you, does that hang over you in any way? Like, do you have the desire to, you know, go back and dissect that and sort of try to get into the head of the kid and, and, and see like now in retrospect, does he think about it differently or does he not even think about keep, it at all? It's one of those like three o'clock in the morning things. Like, and I keep asking myself, like, did, what did I do wrong? Did I fail to communicate something to him? Did I fail to um, instill something to him? And at some point I'm coming to peace with the idea that he had agency here too, that it wasn't just my decision, that he had to make the decision of what he was going to learn from that. Yeah, I don't think it's my job to have the kids give me therapy. It's my job is to set the table for them and let them take away from it what they can. It is not their job to hold me up. I have other people that can do that. I can talk to my wife about it. I can talk to my friends about it. And that's another great thing about scouts is um, dads have relatively few public spaces to bond in. And some of my best friends now are leaders that I've been in scouts with my buddy, Kevin, I joke, we're actually legally married in three States. We've spent enough time under the same tent that we're actually common law married in a state. Cause it's been like a <laughs> month's worth of nights or something, but they're great guys. And ultimately they're operating in good faith and I can operate in good faith with them. It kind of occurred to me that maybe this doesn't happen so much in boy scouts, but it seems like there's potential for, the idea of accountability to almost border on bullying is that, Oh yeah. Does that make sense? Is that something that you've seen in your troop at all or in, in the organization in general? It does. It does. And I think yes. And your job as a leader trusted with these scouts is to step in and be like, that's not appropriate. You, you cannot talk to him that way. You cannot make this person do this thing. Like you are not helping them. You are bullying them. Does, does there come a point where kids start to see what they're learning in scouts as sort of a, a way to help transition to something that they really want to do out there uh, after high school or in college? I mean, is, is there is there a point where where some kids sort of say like, 
oh, I, oh, I see now the real value here, you know, the long-term value of sticking with something like this. And does that, does that sort of help propel them all the way through up, up towards like that Eagle Scout level? For sure. The whole merit badge program is designed to give you exposure to a variety of things that you might be interested in. So, um, you know, you can pick a topic, there's probably a merit badge about it. And the idea is you do enough research that you're kind of dangerous about it. Like you, you're a little informed about what it means as, as a practice or as a profession or as a course of study, you know, the skills are great, but you know, from raising kids, values are, are what persists and values are what guide them over the long term. So, you know, be nice, play fair, be considerate, think of other people, you know, be prepared you know, and, and be willing to step in if that's what you need to do. Um, when he, when did he first start showing interest in becoming a boy scout? Was that something that he discovered, uh, like, like you did sort of on your own with a, uh, from a book on a bookshelf or was it, were you more actively sort of talking to him about? Yeah. I knew how much eventually joining. I knew how much fun I'd had and I kind of, you know, your kids are in that age where I'm going to sign you up for soccer because I think you're going to like this. Well, as a case of, right. we're going to go to Cub Scouts because I think you're going to like it. And he made good friends there. And that was great. That sustained him through a long time. And in fact, at his um, Eagle Court of Honor this weekend, two of the other scouts who were getting their Eagle badge went through the program with him. They've been in scouts together since they were in first grade. And which that's really remarkable. So he was staying for his friends at first. But again, as you start to get older and you really have choices about how you're going to spend your time, you know, am I going to go do a sport? Am I going to go do this extracurricular thing? How am I going to do my musical instruments? It's up to them. Like, I could compel him to do it, but I wouldn't want to do that. He's going to get nothing out of it if I go to him as his dad and I'm like, no, you need to participate in this. Like, that then he's just going to be checking boxes and, and there's, there's nothing there. He's not doing it. He's not doing it for him at that point. Right. He's doing it to make me happy, yeah. which is not what he needs. Right. Yeah. Did you always sort of have it in your mind that if slash when I have kids that you may be a scout master yourself? So for me, scouting wasn't just an extracurricular activity. It was, here's a chance for you to make a whole bunch of new friends. Here's a chance for you to learn to do a whole bunch of cool things that you're not otherwise going to be able to do. I think you would like this. And he did. And I wanted to be there with him. And like every other volunteer organization, they're just starving for help. And so even if I had been cold hearted, I would have been roped in at some point to, to leading something. But no, I I wanted to lead. I mean, I knew I wanted to do it. And and I know I wanted to do it for him. I wanted to do it for people I knew had, had been in. I knew I, that there was this level of trust and I wanted to be able to step up and, and do my best at it. So as your son worked his way up through um, the various uh, uh, levels of achievement in the program and he started mentoring, um, tell me if I'm totally butchering the terminology here, but he, but he started working with younger people in more of a leadership role, correct? Correct. Yes. Yes. So what was that like for you, you know, as a dad seeing a different side of him than I, I presume you probably hadn't seen before it was great um he was the 
the senior patrol leader is the scout who leads the other scouts. And he was the SPL during the pandemic, which was the worst mm. time to be a leader. We weren't meeting in person. We weren't going on outings. We were doing troop meetings in Discord, which everybody hated, including me and including him. And we missed going to summer camp, which was, you know, he had a big thing going. But when we were starting to get back together and, and he would be leading stuff, you, you have this, you would watch him do something and he'd have a couple of reactions. As a parent, you're like, oh my God, this is great. Look at him do this. Like, my boy, that's wonderful. And at the same time, I was Scoutmaster and I'm like, that's great. We're going to have to get that trailer loaded in 20 minutes. So I need you to, to move on and get ready for the next thing. Or like, come on, it's taking us too long to do this thing. Let's get everybody cleaned up and let's go. And then you have to give your son feedback in his role as senior patrol leader with you and your role as Scoutmaster. But you always make sure that you come back in the end. And he's usually on the drive home from an event. I'd be like, I'm really proud of you. You know, as a, as a dad, it's just, it's great to watch this. So, but yeah, having those thoughts in parallel is just like a delightful experience. I learned a lot. I mean, I certainly got a mu as much out of being Scoutmaster as I think he got out of the program. So I, I hope. Well, 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 The end of another episode of Modern Dadhood, the podcast. When you know it, it's almost like every episode ends. There is a culmination to every episode we've created. And this, this is number 70. We've got 70 episodes. God, man, are you serious? Yeah, dead serious. Seven zero. Yeah. Dads, you can find Modern Dadhood... Wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, where else? P-Cast, Acast, and, um, uh, Murray, po Murray Pod. Yeah, Murray Pod. The only podcast award that actually matters.com. Wherever you choose to listen, we would ask that you please subscribe and take a moment to leave us a quick rating and a review. It makes a big difference for us. And also uh, word of mouth, you know, tell a friend about yeah. Modern Dadhood, somebody who you care about and somebody who you think would find value in this program use your mouth use your words use both of them together talk about my use data. your words use them while you're out there on the internets head on over to instagrams or the facebook's you can find us there we've got a youtube channel there's some fun things there hey you know what would be sick is if you went over to moderndadhood.com and picked up a dad hoodie for someone in your life that you love that you appreciate it, you want to do something nice for. Speaking of appreciating and doing something nice, why don't you send us a note? You know, you haven't sent us a note in a while. Why don't you send us a note at hey at moderndadhood.com? You know, tell us what's on your mind. Big thanks, as always, to Casper Baby Pants and to Spencer Albee for the music that you hear in Modern Dadhood. Uh, major thanks to our friend Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for mixing the show and making us sound great. Uh, learn more about Pete at redvaultaudio.com. Thank you to Pete Murray for sharing his wisdom and some really fun stories about the Boy Scouts. And thank you for listening. 